Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. They not only shape markets, they have the opportunity to change the world. One of the things I've noticed in conversations with security executives around the globe is three distinct things, maybe not quite articulated this way, but three distinct things I'm seeing over and over. One, they're dealing with a deluge of data and their job is to harness that data, to synthesize that data. It's a sensor-driven world. There's data stores that are unmined, both public and private, with inside the security organization as well as inside the organization as a whole. And their job is to get a handle on that data because we need to see the patterns that may uh, dictate to us, inform us, that a threat is about to occur. That in itself is a workflow. Um, many of the uh, executives have talked about attack cycles, um, but the idea is to get in front of the incident real time and to also, if the incident occurs, handle it real time. And that's the goal. Um, we're still trying to get our hands around it as an industry. And today I have two people I thought could provide some insights. Nabi uh, Namar with uh, Palo Alto Networks, uh, sharing his broad experience in this area. And uh, of course, Fred Burton, who's the executive director of the Center for Protective Intelligence. And uh, Fred and uh, Nabi have been on the great conversation before we welcome them back for the first time together. Thanks, gentlemen. Great to be here. Great to be here. Thanks for having us, Ron. Absolutely, Fred. And let's let's start with you, if we can, uh, because the term protective intelligence, we, you and I have defined it before, but let's do a quick refresh. Define the term and, and tell us why it's so important to your peers in the industry. Well, Ron, uh, we define protective intelligence as an investigative and analytical process used to, to proactively identify, assess, and mitigate threats to protective operations, whether that be people, places, or things, or property. And uh, it is a term and concept that uh, in the early 1980s, I was involved with the development of that at the State Department after looking at all the different failures we've had historically leading up to that point from embassy bombings to attacks on principles to hijackings to assassinations and kidnappings. And, and what's really interesting, Fred, um, to intersect with that, protective intelligence also infers, our good friend Tom Mars would call it effectiveness in that as well. So it's a it's a it's a it's um, it's a methodology, if you will, to get to an integrated or holistic view of the situation. Is am I right on that? You absolutely are. And in a perfect world, uh, and today we're certainly not living in that, with our extraordinarily complex threat landscape, the ability to understand the threats in a single pane of glass or in a platform where you can observe exactly what your, your threat matrix is, is critical due to the complexity and the speed of threats coming at you today. When I first became involved with the physical security industry, it was a, a number of months after 9-11 and I was reading the report on it that would come out, what, six months to a year later. And 
it, everything you just said, Fred, it, it, I, I realized how difficult and complex that is. When you have silos of competence out in the industry and, and they aren't shared, they aren't synthesized, you can't see it through that single pane of glass, it can create a horrific scenario that we're trying to avoid. Oh, absolutely. And if you take it down to a practical level inside a company, say a Fortune 1000, the ability to have not all of your to have all of your stakeholders with that same visibility, HR, legal, compliance, corporate security, GSOC, cyber, to be operating on the same wavelength so they know exactly where those kinds of threats are coming from. That's the kind of world that we're living in today. And I see more and more companies heading in that direction, Ron and Nobby. But unfortunately, I see a lot of companies that are still not in that space uh, due to a lot of legacy systems and disparate systems or just uh, not spending enough on technology, which I think is really the solution going forward. Well, it's certainly not sticky notes and Excel spreadsheets, that's for sure. No, no, it's certainly not. Uh, I mean, when I started in this business, we had three by five index cards was our database and typewriters were our computers. So uh, we've come a long way. Well, you did damn well with those tools, but just imagine uh, that on steroids now. So Nabi, what, uh, Nabi what, what I find about you and in, in speaking with you in the past is you don't look through your own pane of glass. You're, you're also getting involved with your peers and really understanding what they're dealing with as well. So what are you see? let's put, you know, you've got the boots on the ground. What are you seeing right now about these issues and how best to uh, resolve them? Yeah, I think, you know, building on what Fred was saying, you know, the collaborative nature of PI is really where the focus needs to be for these coming years, um, you know, between the cyber, between, you know, the various departments in the org, but also the training for the employees is crucial. And not only training employees, but training your actual security forces, your receptionists, all of that to be able to identify what those incidents or instances are that need to be reported. You know, a lot of the team members, especially if they're receptionists or even entry-level guards, they're not familiar with what needs to be reported and how to properly report that to whether it's a GSOC, Intel team, whatever it is, to ensure that it is documented, categorized, and assessed properly. And same with employees, you know, workplace violence, you know, the statistics are there where, you know, FBI reports over 70% of these events, someone knew something about the incident, right? But why didn't they report it? Why did they feel hesitant to report what they knew, what was you know told to them, is because they don't know what they should be reporting. Well, that's really interesting. Um, you know, Fred just talked about technology, uh, but as Jim Collins said in his uh, his work, uh, good to great. Uh, if you don't know what your current business processes or your culture, technology is only going to accelerate your your inefficiencies. <laughs> And, and so you're absolutely right on the train, but let me ask you this. Are we also dealing with the fact not only in training, but are you training them on how to use the tools as well? 
or do you have to extract that data out of them manually and then get them into a technology framework like what we're talking about? I think it's a combination of both, right? Depending on where they sit in the org. If it's an employee, what you really need to be able to implementing is those anonymous reporting lines or that relationship with those security personnel so that if they do see something, they then can report it to the personnel and then they can categorize it through the app. If you know, a lot of times mobile guards now have apps on the patrol phones. So if they were, you know, an employee comes up to them and report something, they should be able to put it into that app right away, then goes feeds into the Intel team or GSOC. So then they can start actioning it. Mm -hmm. And are, are you finding, again, I'm, I'm thinking of all these resources that are coming at the um, potential incident uh, from different perspectives, all with various levels of tools. Um, in, in this context, you're talking about someone who tells somebody who inputs it into the tool, but what, what are you finding is, um, we'll call it the best practice today. Is it, is it, um, is that single pane of glass reserved in your in, in situation, reserved for only a certain type of person? I wouldn't say it's reserved for a certain type of person. It's more of the organization or team that's handling it, right? The Intel team needs to be able to digest whatever information is being fed into their hub and then produce that single pane and push it out to senior directors, legal, HR, to then evaluate and determine what actions need to be taken. And that's where the collaborative nature really comes into play is Intel now pushes this single pane out and now we have to be able to action it. Got it. Uh, Fred, is that what you're seeing is the best practice? You're seeing uh, essentially uh, an uh, Intel team collecting the information whatever way they can, pushing it to the platform, something like an Ontic, for example, uh, synthesizing that data, coming up with a report on that data, and then pushing it out for agreement on action? Yes. And I think also, and, and Nobby raises some very good points, uh, the speed at which this information now is being collected and the, the ability to synthesize that very rapidly. So uh, if you're sitting in the, in the CSO seat, uh, you, you have visibility into something that might have unfolded within minutes. Uh, and then also you have a very good audit and compliance trail as to who is doing what and when, uh, which I see more and more companies trying to focus on too from a corporate liability perspective. It's, it's, not, um, it's not just good enough to collect the data today and have it in some sort of uh, database you have to be able to show what has been done as a result of that as well. So uh, that I see more and more as uh, kind of the new frontier as I talk to uh, CSOs uh, around the country and to be able to show that to corporate legal uh, or to the C-suite if need be, if it's a serious issue, to exactly see who took what action and when is more and more critical. You know, not too long ago, Ron, we did a uh, survey on, you know, kind of the state of protective intelligence and, and uh, talked to, uh, in a center here, uh, of about 300 uh, CSOs, legal counsels, and so forth. And everybody portrays this picture of just unmanaged threats, threats increasing, 
the ability to have some sort of uh, uh, ability to track them and map them and to know where they are is just today's world that we're all living in. You know, it's, um, it dawned on me for a second. You're familiar with the term, I'm sure both of you, with hot wash, right? That is, you've just gone through an exercise. I think of the Blue Angels, for example. I've just gone through an exercise. I'm going to do a hot wash now. And the goal would be to pinpoint those inefficiencies in the actions we just took. And it, it, it seems to me, Fred, if you have the hub, as Navi was talking about, a platform to rapidly collect this information as rapidly as possible, synthesize it, and push it out to those that can act on it. It seems to me you have the ability for process improvement too. It's not just an audit compliance tool, it's also a hot wash tool. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can also see what hasn't been done uh, or if you're assigning tasks to say an international security manager or to a corporate investigator or on an insider threat case, which, you know, as, as, as we all know, are very sensitive to companies uh, and your ability to try, try to help you manage those kinds of investigations are, are very complex in today's uh, international space, much more complex than I, when I first got into the private sector, you know, back in uh, 1999. Oh, I bet. Nabi is, um, it, it, but I'm, I'm very, very interested then in, um, I, I know theoretically what the hub is. Uh, can you give us some real, you know, real insights, the tangible insights of how you, you and the, uh, and the Intel teams you talk with, with your peers and others use that? Can you give us more insights, you know, some real dirt under the fingernails of use of that? Let's take, you know, we're in COVID right now, right? A lot of people are not in the office, um, which leaves these offices vulnerable, you know, for, you know, break-ins, burglaries, whatever it is. So the mobile guards need to be trained and informed about what these threats are, right? If we know that there's been a burglary string between an office building across the street or down the street, and our Intel team is not sharing that with our guards, that's a lapse in PI. Because now these guards don't know that we need to be aware of these burglaries occurring in this vicinity. Vice versa, if the mobile guards are noticing the same vehicle or person loitering day after day, they need to be reporting that to the Intel team saying, we've seen this guy now, three days in a row, seems to be just walking around our buildings, you know, just seems lost. And then the Intel team's not gathering the information to do an assessment. That again is a lapse in PI, right? So it's a two-way street that needs to be, um, you know, flowing. What I love about that story is again, getting in front of things requires not only the data aggregation uh, but the data communication. And then there's this almost real-time, what you're sharing with me, Navi, is almost this real-time sharing of information, which provides you that as real-time as possible ability to respond to it, get in front of it, and uh, act on it. Sure. 
Wow, that, that's fantastic. Have you, inter, uh, have you actually experienced integrating such a tool with you know, your, your video surveillance cameras, your access control systems, your intrusion systems? Is, in, is that part of the integration of such a tool? Uh, we don't currently have um, a tool like that. You know, we use Ontic um, as, as a definite platform that you know, has been very uh, beneficial to us. As far as our video camera system and badging system, that's integrations are different for that. Yeah, I got it. I got it. And what are the primary use cases for Ontic? Definitely assessing those bolos, you know, those that information, you know, that we see. Um, you know, if we do have reports of those break-ins, making sure that we categorize those things. Um, you know, we want to keep that information that we're fed in a database that we can then build up a case. So basically it is a threat aggregation tool, but also an archive of threats over time. Absolutely. And, um, and before, this is kind of a, a, a mental construct I use, right? What was the bad thing that happened before you deployed this tool when you used to do that before? the way you used to do things? What bad things happened as a result of not having that tool? Well, I think we've been very fortunate and you know we didn't have any bad things happen. It was trying to get ahead of the curve. The ability to have this system where, again, we can look at things historically and, and keep track is, you know, provides us with insights that we wouldn't have otherwise if we had a manual database. Well, uh, uh, by the way, I didn't clarify bad things. Uh, so I don't mean an incident, but what I mean is, and I think you just described it, the bad thing that happened is you felt disorganized. You didn't have the data at your fingertips. You couldn't react as needed. Uh, so you needed to do something different. You can definitely do things in a manual process, but it's very time consuming, you know, very manual and, and you know, intensive, um, you know, and just wastes a lot of time. So in order to be more efficient, to be more effective, you have to have a, a tool in place that allows you to be able to input it and visually see everything in a matter of minutes. So Fred, I'm curious as you talk to CSOs across the landscape, you know, this whole idea of return on investment uh, can be calculated in so many different ways. What are you seeing other security leaders do when they go to justify such a technology purchase? Well, a lot of them is for efficiency, like you mentioned, meaning uh, the ability to uh, do things quicker, uh, seamlessly with less manpower hours attached to that problem, as, as Nobby mentioned, meaning, uh, you know, I can remember uh, in, in, in the old days as to how we manually constructed a bolo and how we had to photocopy those and walk them around guard stations. And I'm sure Nobby remembers those days, too. Now, with the rapid ability to collate that at a, a single point and holistically fill that and press a button and send it to whoever you want to electronically and to be able to maintain that and to be able to segment off certain portions, let's say if it's sensitive, for example, directed against a CEO and you really don't want everybody to see that, but you still want to look out for that person or a vehicle or whatever. Uh, so efficiency, uh, comprehensiveness, uh, ease of uh, operations, 
And also, uh, and I'm sure as Nobby knows, as, as a boss in any organization, you want to be able to come in uh, and look to be able to see what has taken place over the last 24 hours or uh, to look at uh, statistics for uh, what has occurred over the last X number of days just to keep track of trends and so forth. So, you know, that holistic kind of assessment is what I see more and more companies going through. And, and I will add this too, Ron and, and Nabi, I, I do see other kinds of technology integrations uh, increasing uh, around the country uh, and around the world, really, uh, to be able to, you know, just to integrate uh, more uh, international investigations, whether it be supply chain, insider threat, whatever, uh, but also just uh, to, to map and track a, a person of interest or a suspicious vehicle that is driven around at a CEO's house and also driven around corporate headquarters. So I see more and more uh, companies going to those kinds of technology solutions as well. You know, it's really interesting, uh, Navi, um, I, I love scorecards. I'm always thinking in terms of scorecards. Scorecards are what changes marketplaces. You know, what, what's, the scores, what's the scorecard for one-click shopping? Uh, uh, for shopping online, one-click shopping would be on the scorecard. You, you would probably isolate a vendor along those lines. Uh, so I, I'm really interested in scorecards. I think they maximize our effectiveness in choosing the right tools and Fred, thank you so very much, uh, because um, I can take these four or five um, scorecard elements and start applying them to my current baseline and come up with probably a very easy way of justifying this kind of technology. Nabi, did, uh, Nabi, did, that, uh, did that strike you that as well? Absolutely. Yeah, when you make these justifications, those were all the reasons for us and more. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm going to throw you both a curveball. I don't certainly want to take away from its primary use, which is threat hunting, uh, synthesizing a holistic picture around the patterns of behavior going on outside and inside the company. Don't want to take away from that. That's, that's been well described by both of you. But I was really interested because if I can see patterns of behavior uh, through uh, aggregating this kind of information, could this be applied to operations as well, instead of just risk and security? Could I start collecting information? Because you can get down, you can actually start isolating if it's fully integrated, like Fred said, it could be going that direction. And I am suddenly retrieving video data and access control information and the other tools within your enterprise, could I, and not as big brother, but could I start using some of those things to help my operational peers be more effective? Hmm. It's, I told you it was a curveball. <laughs> it, it's a good question, Ron. I, I'll tackle it first, Nabi. Uh, sure. I think it, it <clears throat> excuse me, it would depend upon uh, the nature of that business. Meaning, for example, let's say, using COVID or uh, visitor management systems or facilities issues or workflows. Let's say you have uh, a workforce coming in to just maintain air conditioning ducts or, or whatever. 
yeah, there could be applications uh, outside of that space, uh, or let's say, you know, uh, vehicular management if you're in the delivery space or whatever. Uh, also, uh, your continuous monitoring, for example, let's say you want to monitor um, certain aspects for whatever purposes for liability. And as we all know in this business and corporate America, and it pretty much it's in the government too, uh, where their background checks um, are in the government, maybe every seven, 10 years in corporate America, they rarely occur after the initial screening, for example. But let's say for the sake of uh, modeling, you had a, uh, a driver that's responsible for delivering whatever product, and um, you were worried about liability, um, let's say previous DWIs or drug usage or whatever, uh, do you have the ability to monitor uh, in some sort of real-time capacity, you know, all, the, you know, depending upon the laws and legal regulations by state or whatever, or by company, uh, are you sure that employee and certain employees in certain key jobs are self-reporting issues that you really want to know about. So for example, that's another kind of application that that I could see being used just for continuous monitoring for certain kinds of jobs. Yes. Nabi, what do you think? Yeah, and I think, you know, to add on that, um, I could see the use of the deep and dark web, you know, feature you know, partnering with the comms team or even HR and, and, you know, for those people who are in those higher risk positions, you know, like Fred's saying, kind of being those backgrounds, but also looking to see if anything nefarious is being posted on those sites that might be led back to an employee. Yeah. Um, again, all within legal parameters. Well, what, what I love about your perspective, uh, Nabi, is you think about your background. You, you have touched almost every aspect of a risk resilient security program from travel security to events, to operation centers, to workplace violence. So I, I can see you applying this business intelligence framework in so many of those areas. Um, uh, and, and I'll be really interested in tracking your development with this platform over time to see how it starts expanding its, uh, its use case. Do you have any forecasts in the future of where you think you might take this tool next? Uh, not at this time that I can talk about. Um, you know, I think we're there's definitely be more expansion in the future, but we'll we'll see. Okay, that 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 was a good answer. How about <laughs> you, Fred? How about you, Fred? Where if if I drew a uh, a sphere and I segmented the use cases, where would it be a preponderance of the application today, and how might that change in the future? Well, I think uh, what I see, at least as it pertains to the platform that we have, uh, are that people are, are utilizing exactly what, in the context of, of how Nobby has described. Uh, I also see uh, through our partnerships with uh, Sigma and Waver, for example, uh, that ability uh, to vet potential threat actors that have, or insiders uh, that pose risks to your employees, staff, HR managers, CEOs, 
Uh, and, you know, I'll be blunt. That's something that we always struggled with, even back when I was uh, with the government and in interviewing individuals that you really were not sure if they posed a threat or not. And I know the challenges in the corporate space of, for example, if you have a threat actor that's threatened a CEO is not really knowing um, whether or not that person uh, really is has the intent. So what I like going forward, and I see more and more incorporation of that, is the utilization of those automated tools on our platform as well to help be able to set back and say, you know, this person checks enough boxes here that I better notify the local police, or perhaps it warrants the hiring of a private investigator, or uh, we need to do maybe a elevated bolo on this person predicated upon certain variables. So, you know, more uh, academic rigor being uh, established in that process. I mean, look, we all know in the space, you know, Nabi and I have been around the block here that you talk to some people and you say, yeah, this person is a problem. We need to keep an eye on uh, him or her. But in some cases, you just don't know. And so to be able to have a, a platform to help you with those kinds of decision matrix is something that not only helps us, but when you have that at, a, at, at an academic rigor that um, your corporate legal could look at too and say, oh, okay, I see why you did this now. So uh, that's what I see is kind of on the future in this space too, um, along with that continuous monitoring of certain key jobs. I mean, think on a practical level, think of all the folks handling COVID vaccines, for example, uh, and supply chain ramifications or something such as critical, such as critical as that in our national security. So things like that, I just see more and more interest, uh, you know, down the road, or it could be something as simple as uh, developers in a sensitive lab and not really knowing much about them and, and, you know, what they have access to and where that intellectual property could be going. You know, the, um, uh, a year or so back, we had uh, Deloitte and Touche. Uh, they have a practice on insider threat. And I touched base um, during the pandemic last year on how the threat vectors uh, looked from their standpoint. And I was reminded, and this is why I have such respect for both of you and our peers in the industry, uh, because it is a challenge in the civic discourse that we have today, which I believe has changed, has gotten more volatile, along with the pressure cooker of a pandemic and work from home. Um, your job is getting much more complex. And if you, if you had to do that on your own manually, I, I can't even imagine being able to deal with that because back to you got to have the HR person on board and you got to have the ops people on board and you've got to have a lot of eyes and ears on this, but it has to come back to that single pane of glass. You, you started this discussion with Fred. Oh, I believe so. I, I think the complexity of the world today, Ron and, and Nobby dictates that. And uh, most corporate councils that I talk to are requiring it uh, just for uh, best practices uh, legal liability, 
to be able to say, uh, we've done everything we possibly can do to make the workplace safe and secure. Um, because God forbid, if you have some sort of incident, uh, people are going to be asking those hard questions. So let's, um, let's end on this note. And I'm now speaking to the great conversation community, which is also business people now, not just security people. I'm talking to my business peers. And if we listen intently to this, we know that your company runs on a degree of trust, safety, and security of your people now more than ever. If we want to relieve the pressure cooker on your people, we have to do our part into making this as secure and safe as possible. It's a workplace productivity tool, not just a safety and security tool. So gentlemen, thank you so much for driving that home today. Any last words? Thank you for having me. Thank you, Ron. This was great. Thank you, Fred. Great talking with you both. This has been a great conversation. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.